Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Michelle Tafoya. Michelle is the sideline reporter for the NFL. You could catch her every Sunday night. Michelle has had an absolutely outstanding career, and we discuss her journey in depth. I really think you're going to get a lot of today's episode, and I really enjoyed my discussion with Michelle. I hope you enjoy, and thank you. All right. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to an episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. Happy to have you here today. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You've had such an extraordinary career and a uh, very exciting one. And I, I think for our listeners, we're, we're very eager to hear kind of about your journey and uh, what's taken you from the beginnings of journalism to, to where you are today. So if you don't mind, maybe, Michelle, just tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Manhattan Beach, California, the youngest of four kids to uh, parents who had literally lived the American dream, started out in incredible poverty and worked their way up to being able to raise four kids and send us all to college. So it all really, for me, starts there. I attended college and then went off to graduate school in business because at some point I kind of knew... I wanted to try something risky in my career, risky being broadcasting, television production, something of that kind that is a very difficult career to get into. And so I thought if I have my master's in business, at least I'll have a fallback plan. So I went to USC and got my master's and along the way just continued to to fall in love with, with journalism and production and television production. And ultimately... I was living in Hermosa Beach, California, and I, I said, I've got to do this. I've got to, I want to be in front of the camera, and I've got to figure out a way to do that, and I've just got to jump, you know, i just got to make the, take the leap, as they say. So I sent sure. out resumes and this demo tape that I faked and made <laughs> and uh, traveled kind of all around to make this demo tape and ended up getting hired by a radio station in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was there for, for about eight, nine months and ended up getting hired by a larger market radio station in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I took that and literally I thought, I'm a California girl and I'm in Minnesota. And when the day I got there, it was 30 below. And I said, I'm not staying here for more than a year. I'm going to, I got to figure out how to get to the next place that isn't 30 below. And while I was there within the first several months, got hired by CBS Sports. They had just lost the NFL to Fox, this upstart network called Fox, and they were just looking for young new announcers and cheap ones, and I fit the bill. So (laughs) I took a job at CBS Sports, and kind of from there, the, the television career really took off. Wow, that's a pretty neat journey. So, so let, let's go back a little bit, if you don't mind. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. So, part of the the key ingredient podcast, the reason we have this is it's always to find out kind of that one thing, that one key ingredient that changed people's careers. So, if you don't mind, I want to kind of rewind again a little bit more to when you were younger. So, you mentioned you were looking to take a risk. I mean, was journalism something that you know? If I met you when you were in grammar school or high school. You would have said that's exactly what I want to do, or was it really? Were you really undecided, like most of us at that period of time? I was a starry-eyed young person in Southern California who wanted to be an actress when at that stage of my life, and I did a lot of theater all through uh, grammar school, junior high school, especially high school. 
I mean, I was just a performer by nature. I didn't really stop that pursuit until that's, I was just a performer. The reality of it really hit me between the eyes that to make it as an actor or a performer of some kind really required a different lifestyle. You know, you were going to be just kind of waiting tables and running to auditions. And I didn't, I don't think I had that in me. So that was a big reason I thought, okay, I can go into some other element like production of television or film and, but let's get that master's of business first. So at least I have a, a, a backup plan. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you went for your master's, so entertainment was still kind of on top of the list of things you wanted to do, but you had the backup plan. So was there somebody when it came to journalism, and I don't know if you're a family or anybody was in journalism, but was there someone that you kind of admired that you looked up to and said, you know, that's, that looks exciting. That's the kind of career that I want to emulate and have for myself, or, or was that not the case? I think what's funny is that when I got out of college uh, at a University of California, Berkeley, I decided to do what's called a, a summer internship, Cal in the Capitol, which was a summer internship in Washington, D.C. And because I was a communications major at Cal, the internship I got was at a television station, WRC, the NBC affiliate in Washington, D.C. So I was around the epicenter of the United States, really, uh, in terms of government and policy and working in television. And honestly, I kept trying to talk myself out of going into television in front of the camera. I kept trying to come up with excuses because I was so afraid of failing at it, I think, deep down. Mm -hmm. So I looked at this television experience that I was having and I was like, ah, this is too, I don't know. I don't want to do news. I, I, it, you know, I, I don't know what I was telling myself but I was talking myself out of it. So eventually, like I said, when I went back to graduate school, I still had this itch to do something with production. And I went down and I, I sat with the dean of the business, the, the, the graduate school of business at University of Southern California. And I said to him, I want to make a movie about this program. Could I please have $50,000 and I'll make a recruiting video? <laughs> And somehow I got him to say yes. Now, 50000 is a low budget in Hollywood, obviously, but for a, a private university, it was a pretty good sum of money. And I hired a director and a producer out of the USC Film School, and together we built a recruitment video. And oh, after that, I was like, I got to be in production. I love this concept of putting together a story, of telling a story, of putting it down on film, of editing. I love being in the edit bay. And I just... All of it was was speaking to me. But again, there was that, you know, look, I grew up with parents who were Depression era kids who really looked for the kind of that safe, conservative approach to to earning a living. And so that was really somewhere deep in me. But ultimately, I said, I want to be in front of the camera. I believe I can do it. I started seeing women in sports. I started seeing Hannah Storm and Robin Roberts and Leslie Visser. And I thought maybe that's, that's it because I was a sports fanatic fiend, read the sports page cover to cover every day, everything. I just read it all. And I thought, okay, well maybe this is the Avenue. Maybe this is the way to go. Maybe I marry these two passions and start that way. And it was good timing. It was a time when really, I think, networks like CBS and radio stations were looking for women 
to add to their their sports portfolios. I love that. So, so you, I mean, to some degree, you came out of your comfort zone because here you were unsure if you wanted to be in front of the camera, even though you, I, I think you had a burning desire to be in front of the camera, but it's yeah. one thing to want to do it. It's another thing to actually have the guts to do it. Correct. Right? It's not, yeah. not easy. So you did this recruiting video. Now, were you on the video? I mean, was it, was I it was, I, I did a cameo on the video. What I did was I interviewed a number of students about their experience at USC and uh, in the grad school. And so, so I included my own interview in it. And I remember at the end of my interview, the producer, who was a young woman who I've since completely lost touch with, she looked at me and she said, you're going to do something great. I can just feel it. You're just going to do something big. And not that I consider what I'm doing in life big. I, and I still have a lot of life to live and I may get there to the big part. But I remember that it really kind of making me feel like I had a, a, she said I had an on-camera presence and I thought, okay, that's reinforcing. That's, that's, that's supportive. That's motivating. Maybe I can do this. Gave, gave you some confidence as well. Yeah. I think the lesson there, and I, I hope everybody hears that is, you know, sometimes in life we really need to get out of that comfort zone and it may not feel natural, but look at what that did for you. So now let's let's segue over. So you mentioned you ended up going to North Carolina to work for a radio station, correct? Yes. What did you do there? I was a co-host of the Afternoon Drive show, which unlike most cities, was a five-hour radio station show. So in other words, you know, most Afternoon Drive shows are three, maybe four hours. We did five. And this was in Charlotte, North Carolina. This was before the Carolina Panthers were there. So we really talked about the Atlanta Braves, all this, the North Carolina basket, you know, the Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest. We talked about that, talked a little bit about, well, we did have the Charlotte Hornets and I covered the Hornets every single home game. I was there and I, I was interviewing players after the game and so forth. So I was doing everything I could in this kind of smaller market to just to, to be busy and to, to, to learn and to grow. but from what was it? Two o'clock to seven o'clock every day. We were on the air talking about it. It was great training ground. Just great. So it was 100% sports then, correct? 100%. Interesting. Now, now growing up, so did you play sports yourself or were, were there certain sports that you liked over others? Well, we did. My dad was a huge sports fiend and encouraged us all to play. So yes, I grew up playing soccer and softball and basketball and volleyball. I was never a great athlete. I tried hard. I really did. In fact, I made the all-star team in basketball, I think, because I played so hard on defense that I almost scared kids. That's always been what I've done the best, is tried really, really hard. And then the things I really loved, I worked the hardest at. So while I wasn't a great athlete, I was a tenacious defender. But that that was about it. I was My brother was a superstar basketball player in California. He was you know, six foot six, 200 pound shooting guard. And he was terrific. And he was a high school star. My sisters were, you know, a, a little similar to me, but it just, the passion for sports in my house ran deep. My dad, we didn't have a ton of money. My dad made these arrangements for us to go to the 1984 LA Olympics. And I mean, he had this whole thing planned out how we could park nearby without paying for parking we took oranges out of our backyard to the neighbors where we parked. So we could, hey, thanks for letting us park on your street. Here's some fresh oranges and lemons. <laughs> we appreciate it. 
And, you know, so got to see some track and field and a lot of different things. He was a diehard 49er fan, having grown up most of his uh, teenage years in San Francisco, sneaking into Kizar Stadium, going to 49ers games. So here we were in L.A., raised as 49ers fans, when everyone else around us was a Rams fan. It was painful until Joe Montana arrived, and then it was just awesome. Those are sort of the, the general nuts and bolts. Sports was a big part of my family's life, yes. Wow. Okay, so after North Carolina, so then you went, did you go directly then to Minnesota? Yes, I did. I, I was doing a report from North Carolina with a radio station in Minneapolis, KFAN, and I was doing an interview about something that was going on in North Carolina. I think it was Michael Jordan's retirement or something like that. And they said, can you hold on after we let you go here, Michelle, blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure. They put me on hold and this woman picks up and she says, hi, I'm Lorna Gladstone. You don't know me. I'm the program director here and I'm going to hire you. And I said, oh, okay. So she flew me out to Minneapolis and it was only like September, October. It wasn't that cold, but I was freezing still. I was freezing. And everyone was looking at me going, well, if you're freezing now, you may not want to, you know. But I took the job because it was a step up. And she assured me I would be part of their Vikings radio coverage. And for me, the NFL was always the goal. So I took the job. And I'm sitting here in Minnesota today, what, 25 years later, loving living here. And you're totally acclimated to the cold at this point, I assume. No, I am not. But I, <laughs> can't but take I the uh, Southern, Southern California girl out of you, huh? You can't. <laughs> so, so at this point, okay, so I want to understand this. So you're segueing into to, to the to NFL, to football, and then you're still doing radio at this point. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I was like the utility player at this radio station. Okay. I would do the early morning drive sort of updates, all the, you know, updates on the 15s or whatever we were doing at the time. Then they started pulling me into co-host when people couldn't show up, you know, can you sub for so-and-so? Can you fill in this show? So I just, I was the utility infielder. And there was one stretch of time where the Minnesota Timberwolves were threatening to leave for New Orleans. They were going to leave Minnesota and go to New Orleans. I covered that story like a blanket I was at every city council, every state meeting, every NBA meeting, everything that had to do with this story. And I was lucky in that I had my master's in business, remember, by this time. So I could cover this story from a business standpoint as well as a sports standpoint. And it really was more of a business story. Moving a franchise has more to do with dollars than it does to do with X's and O's. So I covered this story like nobody in town could and was willing to. I mean, I was... 24-7 on this story. Well, some of the people around town started to notice that I had a brain, I guess, and some of the local stations started looking into hiring me for television. This happened at the same time that CBS lost the NFL, was looking for young talent. I got in the door there. So I ended up working for the network and also for the affiliate here in Minneapolis. They, They kind of collaborated on a deal to keep me in Minneapolis, but also have me work for the network. Wow. So what was your exact function there? What did you do there? What, what did the, Were you still kind of a utility player or were you kind of, were you on the field or what did that look like? When I was where? The last stop there. I'm sorry. Um, oh, so, so once, yo. Go ahead. One, I, Cause I, are you talking about once I took the TV job or? That's correct. Once you took the TV job. So then you were fully on camera and were you in the studio? Were you, were you on the field? 
It was both. It, okay. it, and that's a good question. And I did also, I was anchoring for the local affiliate here, WCCO TV here in Minneapolis. The, this, it, at the time, the CBS owned and operated stations. So I could do a million things and I did do a million things. I, I kept working at the radio station for a period of time until I just couldn't, I was working too much, but I was traveling. I was doing studio stuff during college basketball for CBS. I was a sideline reporter on the NCAA tournament. I was anchoring here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. If there was an hour of the day, I was probably working. Wow. Okay. So, so now, now where you are today, I mean, tell us a little bit about kind of what's a, what's a, a day in the life of, of Michelle Tafoy at this point? What do you, what do you do daily? I know you have kind of your version of tax time when it comes to the NFL. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that, please. Yeah. Initially, you know, I used to work year round. I was doing the NBA on ESPN and ABC and the NFL for Monday Night Football. And it just got to be, once I had kids, it was, it was taking me away from home too much. So I settled on, look, I'm not going to be able to continue this NBA job. And I walked away from it and it was a plum assignment. I mean, I was the sideline reporter on the finals. And the last series that I did was the year that Kevin Garnett was with the Boston Celtics. He finally won a championship. He had known me from Minnesota. It was quite an experience. And as I walked out of the Boston Garden after that, I said, I am done with the NBA. This has got to be it. I cannot go back. So I called ESPN and I told them that. So then at that point I was on Monday night football prime just year round. And I was happier because I had a two-year-old at home and I needed to be there. And, you know, Monday night ended up getting me over to Sunday night football on NBC about 11 years ago. And so with, with that whole off season, although I do the Olympics every four years, there is this in season that is a grind. And that's where I am right now. We just finished week one in the NFL. It was a great week one. But as of Monday, flying home, I'm working on the plane, getting ready for the next Sunday. I'm memorizing rosters. I'm going through the research. I'm studying players. I'm studying storylines. Today is Tuesday. I'll continue that work all day today. Same with Wednesday. I'll start calling players. Thursday, I'll have a conference call with my producer about what our emphasis on the sideline is going to be, which is obviously different from the emphasis in the booth with Alan Chris. Thursday night or Friday, I'll fly to site, which this week for us is Baltimore, attend meetings with the Ravens, go to practice, etc. Saturday, we will have meetings with the visiting team, which this week is Kansas City. We'll do those over Zoom. We used to do those in person. Since COVID, we've been doing them on Zoom. And then Sunday is game day, and it's a full full day of just feeling like you are doing nothing but getting ready for this game with meetings in the morning, study in the middle of the day, last minute preparations, hair and makeup, over to the stadium, onto the field, talking to players, and then we're on the air. So it's, and then it starts all over again Monday morning. I do, I do want to acknowledge that you are doing this, you're providing this interview during NFL season, and we thank you for doing that since you're you're so busy. Michelle, just kind of as we slowly wrap up here, a couple of questions for you. I mean, you've had, I mean, obviously a great career, but you've also had an opportunity to meet so many exciting players, get to interview so many exciting people who've done some amazing things. Uh, can you just share maybe a couple of maybe your favorite, I guess, people that you had you interviewed in sports and uh, or certain observations that you found and really even some great moments of being able to see some of these just amazing players like a, say a Tom Brady do just su- such amazing things. Yeah, Tom Brady 
It we just had on the Thursday night opener of the season. If you didn't catch it, you missed a heck of a game. Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott back under center against Tom Brady and the defending world champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. It was a hot night, and both of these quarterbacks came to play, man. It was impressive. Both were incredibly impressive. It kind of came down to who had the ball last. And if you give Tom Brady the football with almost any amount of time on the clock, he's going to manage to do something. And that's <laughs> that's what makes him great. And to see him doing it at 44 years of age is remarkable. And I basically covered Tom since he was, uh, you know, since he began his career. So to watch it all these years and see it continue to ascend, like get better <laughs> as he's gotten older is, is crazy. Brett Favre, I absolutely adored covering that man because he was like a big kid playing the game he loved. And I got to cover some very big moments with Brett. Reggie Miller in the NBA is a dear friend of mine. We worked together and I was there for his final NBA game. And that was a great moment to be with him as a friend and to cover it professionally. Michael Jordan covered his comeback. And I once sent him a thank you note for letting me interview him. And the next time I saw him, he said, you sent me that note. And I said, yes, I did. And he said, you can interview me anytime you want. He was very grateful for that uh, thank you note. He was like, it, it's, that's just a little hint to people. It's amazing what little things can do in your career. Michael Phelps' final Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro was absolutely a joy to cover. He's like an assassin in the pool. It's unbelievable to see and to be around his energy. That was just phenomenal. And then this last Olympics, even in Tokyo with no fans, was was great. Uh, covering Katie Ledecky, seeing a, a concentration, a wisdom of mind and athletic prowess and physical gifts come together in the way they do for Katie is, is remarkable. And she's just a great human being. Caleb Dressel also winning all those golds. And he's now the American superstar uh, on the men's side of swimming. So I, I've been so lucky. I can't even, I mean, I, I could go on and on. It's, it's just, but I don't think about it a lot. When you ask a question like that, those moments are like little flashbulbs in my mind. I can remember certain moments of my career that really come to the fore, but you know, it wouldn't take me long to come up with a list of about a thousand. Well, that that's a pretty good list right there, Michelle. I mean, <laughs> you, you mentioned some of the greatest that we've ever seen and even, yeah. even mentioning concentration, I think is such a big word with athletes because I think to some degree, that's what separates some of the greatest from all the other. Just There is no athletes. question. I, I covered Kobe Bryant and was absolutely heartbroken when he died. And the reason was, is that I saw Kobe from really being a baby all the way to becoming a grown man in going into his second phase of, of life when he tragically, and he, and that helicopter accident, all those people were, were lost. He always said, you know, I know I have talent, but I practice like I have none. And that is, wow. that should stay with everyone. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Sure, it matters. Okay, it's not like, I mean, look, it matters. But if you want to be great, you can't skip the work. I didn't just show up one day and become the sideline reporter of Sunday Night Football. You're hearing all these, every day, every step that I took, those days stacked on top of each other. And I went through a lot of gut-wrenching, awful times in my career. 
we haven't even talked about the awful times, but if you can withstand those and believe that your goal is attainable and worth getting there and you were willing to put in that work, which never stops for me, you can do this. Yeah, well, since I'm on the west coast of Florida, I certainly can attest to it being a great game last week. I mean, I'll tell you from my observation, which means you know not a lot here, but of Dak Prescott obviously great return. And I mean, Tom Brady. I mean, what could you say? I mean, is it me or do you think he's actually getting better? I think he is. And Chris Collinsworth saw it, just saying, I can't believe this guy is 44 and the ball is still coming out of his hand so quickly. Now, Tom is. He stands out for his physical and his approach to the game in terms of the way that he keeps his body flexible, pliable, loose. He's not a guy that goes and bench presses 225, you know, 18 times and calls it a day. He's He's got a, a theory that his trainer, his personal trainer, Alex Guerrero, brought into his life and he swears by it. And he knows that some athletic trainers disagree with it. He doesn't care because he's feeling the effects of it every day of his life. And when you hear him talk about it, it's like a sec, it's like a passion for him. He knows every little nuance of it. He'll tell you exactly what he does and the enthusiasm and passion with which he talks about the way that he keeps his body fit is the same as the way as he talks about football. So it's really a, a lifestyle for him. And for him, it's a lot of time and effort, but look what it gives him. No, no doubt about it. Michelle, what would you say was some of the uh, biggest challenges that you faced in your career? I mean, you know, people want to naturally go toward being a woman. If I had looked at that as being a hurdle, I wouldn't be where I am. I knew I was in the minority. There's no question. I knew I was one of very, very few at that time. We're talking 1993. But I also believed in myself. And I also knew that I was better than a lot of men who were doing it. I was smarter. I was more hardworking. And some of these men were doing it just because that's what, you know, the job was for men. I, I didn't care. And if you're going to put hurdles in your own way, you're putting hurdles in your own way. Think about mm -hmm. what that means. You are telling yourself, oh, gosh, this is a profession dominated by women, men, whatever. How could I possibly break in? Now, you've, you've just put the barrier there. No one else put it there. You can say that society put it there, but unless you buy into that, you're the one putting it there. You know, you don't have to buy into somebody else's perspective on it. If you can't change the issue, change your mind. Uh, you know, The Obstacle is the Way, my favorite book by Ryan Holiday, talks about it. So what some people see as an obstacle, other people see as a way to sharpen themselves in any sort of way. If you can overcome that obstacle, you've you've made it into an opportunity. And that's just the way I saw it. I didn't care that I was female. Did people look at me as different? Yep. So what? I mean, it's up to you, man, how you look at the whole thing. It's up to your perspective. What I love about what you just said is you literally sounded like an athlete saying that, right? Because everything that you just described really goes back to sports and, and to the Kobe Bryants and the Tom Brady's about just working hard and ignoring obstacles. And I, I mean, I think that's just amazing. I think that's a lesson for, again, anybody listening about success, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a journalist, whether you're an athlete, wh whatever it may be. 
there's some really good lessons in what you just said. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong, but I can equate that to the way that athletes train and the way that they, that they look at life and their careers. And you know what else it equates to? How happy you are. Because if you look at the world wanting to be offended, which is a big problem in society today, wanting to be a victim, choosing to be a victim, then you're a victim. Then you're offended. I could sit here and watch TV and make up a million ways to be offended by commercials and television and film and news, but I don't because what I do is say, I'm living my life. I'm making my own decisions about how I observe this place and these people. If I want to spend my time being offended, which is a big old waste of time, by the way, what does it get you? If it feels good to be angry, I guess that's the way you're going to choose to live your life. But I think it feels really damn good to say, I I really don't care what the rest of the world thinks about what I'm doing, because this is my life. It's short. I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to see the good in things, and I'm not going to look for the bad in things, and I'm going to choose to be the one in power and control over my life, rather than handing it over to some Twitter mob or some Facebook page that decides I, I don't look good on television or decides I didn't say the right thing or ask the right question, they are always going to be there. If I bow to those people and apologize to those people, then I've totally given up control and power over my own life and the way I see the world. And I refuse to do that. Well, well said. Michelle, just to conclude here, where's the, where's the best place for our listeners to find you? Obviously, you're all over TV and I, I know your social media as well. Where, where's the best place for them to find you? Really, I'm on LinkedIn and that's the only one right now until until the cesspool of the other the social media places. And I don't criticize anyone for being on social media. I know it's a great thing to do for a business person. And I guess if I ever run for public office, I'll get back on. But I don't need that in my life right now. LinkedIn is a little bit more professional. I post inspirational stuff there. I post stories that I think are important. I don't find people going after each other on LinkedIn. It's a little bit more of a, I guess, just that the the vitriol is not there in the same way as it is in other places. So I I quit the other ones. It's, it was bringing too much aggravation into my life, but people can find me on LinkedIn. It's under Michelle Tafoya. One L in Michelle. Yes, I do know that. And I'm glad you said that because I had the same problem with my name sometimes with spelling. So I certainly understand. Michelle, I want to, I just want to thank you for your time here today, especially during NFL season. This is an inspiring story. I've been following your career for, for majority of, of, of my, my adult lifetime. And I've been enjoying every moment of it. You're doing just such amazing things. And I just want to want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I appreciate your interest and letting me speak. I I really do. It's good to talk to you. And, and thanks for highlighting inspiring stories. You know, the stuff that's good in life, the stuff that drives people, the stuff that makes the difference between success and maybe not success. So it's, it's all within people's own hands. They, they, they need to dig deep and find their courage. And, you know, we can't all be NBA players or NFL players, but we can all be something really truly impactful and you just got to find it in you i agree thank you michelle appreciate it thank you